You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, and thank you for listening to The History of World War II Podcast, Episode 374, Churchill, Patron Saint of Malta. Last time, with the RAF squadrons based at Malta on their knees, Kesselring was just waiting for the right moment to launch his invasion. Supposedly dovetailing into this waiting game, Governor Dobby wrote to the Air Ministry that, as May opened up, the defenders of Malta expected a slight lull in their attacks, only because the enemy was organizing for their invasion. That day was almost here. If evidence of this pending invasion was needed, Dobby informed the Air Ministry that on April 21st, reconnaissance planes from 69 Squadron flew over Sicily and spotted the signs of gliders being prepared for. Worse, these signs, there were more than a few, were all near a rail line which meant massive numbers of men and parts for planes could be shipped in a relatively short time. As for London, ignoring the military maxim of trusting the man on the scene, the Chiefs of Staff replied that basically Dobby and company were assuming too much. In fact, London had no hard evidence of preparation for an invasion. And Chief of Air Staff Air Marshal Sir Charles Portal finished off the warning by writing, we believe that if such an attack was intended, we should by now have seen some signs. There is also no evidence at present pointing to a seaborne invasion of the island. The air marshal had even added, In fact, we have received portents that some of the bombers and fighters are to be removed from Sicily. Now, the chiefs of staff and air marshal Porter had access to something that no one on Malta did ultra-decrypted access messages, which explains the barely-contained credulity that was Malta's response. However, the truth was the Germans were going to remove some of their planes from Field Marshal Kesselring, yet he was going to invade anyways. Having gotten permission from Hitler back in February, Kesselring had been making the rounds, trying to get Goering and even Rommel to actively back him. And to be sure, for Mussolini and the Italians, taking down Malta was their number one priority, which meant little to Berlin. Most partnerships are not of equals. But, and this is not the first piece, nor will it be the last, of irony in war. Because of Kesselring's successes in April, Rommel was resupplied and ready to go. 
to go take Egypt, which Hitler wanted badly. But first, Tobruk had to fall. So that was job one for the Desert Fox. So for Rommel to turn from his tempting prize really was asking too much. And as for Hitler, he was still getting over the airborne deaths of his men when Crete had been taken. So everyone around the Malta question was saying, yes, let's invade. But they were saying it in different volumes and with different levels of enthusiasm. Kesselring had yet to get everyone on the same page. Indeed, the field marshal's reply to Hitler's delay was that if we take Malta, we can load up Rommel all we want. Then he will have no trouble taking Egypt and then the Middle East. Malta guarantees success. Not taking Malta leaves everything as a possibility, nothing more. Still, his argument did not push the main players onto his side of the board. And it was at this time that Hitler started sounding like Sir Dudley Pound. Der Fuhrer recommended a compromise. Let's wait a few months, say mid-July or mid-August, then we will have a full moon, which will help with the opening night attack. Kesselring was not happy, but Hitler was talking, so he kept quiet. Furthermore, the field general focused on the words postponed, not canceled, and realized he had better take this something than walk away with nothing. The question was, could he keep Malta as weak as it currently was, until then, even with some of his units leaving, he thought so. Word of a supposed let-up of air access attacks spread throughout Malta, and many men in uniform could not help but project a better future for themselves. The Germans would send over fewer attacks, London would send over more Spitfires, and soon the defenders would dominate their skies, which would go a long way to making a June convoy possible. And all that was well and good, but London, the giver of supplies, saw things differently. As the March convoy had been a disaster, and the latest Spitfires to arrive were now chunks of twisted metal, a whole new approach was needed. This would require some thinking, which meant Malta would not be on the receiving end of supplies for some time. And through all this, there had been one man who had been around long enough to know what would happen to the newly arrived Spitfires. Just one day before they landed, Shrimp Simpson, the sub-commander, wrote in his diary, The Spitfires arrive tomorrow and will be eliminated, chiefly on the ground. He was right, and he was disgusted. Why couldn't Hugh Pugh see the military necessity of sending up dozens of Spitfires at the same time, what was with this four planes going up against dozens or hundreds of enemy planes? It made no sense. And many Maltese civilians thought the same way. But what they did not know was that the ground crews simply did not have the equipment, parts, tools, and manpower for such a miracle. Hell, the four planes going up at one time, that was the miracle. But Shrimp Simpson's last sentence of that diary entry was, I shall leave with a clear conscience. The reason for this is that, to him, he and his men had done their job. But now, at the end of April, the naval forces were told to leave Malta. But if that wasn't bad enough, Simpson and his whole community 
had to endure one more loss before leaving. On April 27th, HMS Urge, commanded by Lieutenant Commander Tomlinson, second only to the upholder in its number of kills, hit a mine while leaving Malta. All hands were lost. Hey everyone, Ray here. If you're like me and you keep up with the news, you've seen so many people making ridiculous money from crypto, but did you know that you could be one of those people? The Copy My Crypto membership site shows you the coins that the YouTuber James McMahon personally holds and allows you to copy him. It's like having a big brother who knows what he's doing. You don't have to know a thing about crypto or how to invest as you simply do what he does. So let me tell you more about James. He runs the Crypto with James YouTube channel, which has over 19,000 subscribers. And since March 2020, he has told his viewers to buy 26 crypto coins. Had you put 100 bucks into each one, it would now be worth over $53,000. Of the 26 coins, his top pick of the year, a coin called Phantom, is currently up over 410 times from what he said. That one call alone has retired a number of people, including guys in their 20s and 30s. Remember, this is public knowledge. You can go to YouTube and verify this for yourself. So if you would like to join the 1,300 members who copy James, then stop what you're doing and head over to copymycrypto.com war. You'll not only find proof of everything I've said, but my listeners can get full access for just $1. You won't find this offer anywhere else, but act fast because the offer ends soon. That's copymycrypto.com forward slash war. That's W-A-R. Don't take this offer lightly. He's the real deal. Go visit the site now. As April turned to May, many people were thinking of the many steps of getting a convoy safely to Malta. However, it was the air ministry that was striving to catch up to Shrimp Simpson's way of thinking, even if they didn't know that. First, and Shrimp had already complained about this, clearly the Spitfires, when they landed on Malta, needed to be quickly refueled and sent back up into the air, as clearly the Axis were keeping an eye out for such things and would soon attack themselves. Problem was, when that last batch of 47 Spitfires came over, yes, they had their tropical air filters already in place, but the birds themselves needed a lot of work, and besides, few, if any, of the pilots had actual combat experience, so were doubly behind the eight ball. All that would have to change with the next shipment, kind of like reinventing the wheel right in the middle of a war. History will bear out that changing a commander in the middle of a losing war will turn out to be either the greatest or worst decision made, and at the best or worst time. Malta was about to jump into that experiment. For weeks now, Hugh Pugh had been telling anyone who would listen that Governor Dombey needed to be replaced, ASAP. Hugh Pugh had taken over the air arm of Malta, but Dombey was still the political leader, and that did not sit right with H.P. Lloyd. But the truth was, those lost 40 newly arrived Spitfires, that had not been Dobby's fault. And since they had been lost, 
Was there a serious conversation, started by Hugh Pugh, about how to avoid another such horrific loss? Not as such, which is why the next part is unfortunate and unfair. Back on April 12th, Air Marshal Tedder, the AOCNC Middle East, and Sir Walter Mockton, the Minister of State, visited Malta to get a sense of the Dobby question. In the end, Hugh Pugh, probably trying to deflect the blame, had a negative campaign about Dobby all set up, though some of the officers did point out that Dobby had never been shy about asking the Chiefs of Staff for more of everything. It took a couple weeks, way too long actually, in the midst of battle, but in the end, Dobby was voted out and Lord Gort, Field Marshal John Standish Surtees Prendergast Vereker, 6th Viscount Gort, the C&C of the British Expeditionary Force in France back in 39, was in. Gort was currently in charge of Gibraltar and doing good work there. It was hoped he would bring his professionalism and tough character and impart it onto Malta, which, as it turned out, was not the problem. But again, the lack of supplies and enough competent ground crew and pilots to actually have 47 Spitfires in the air at the same time. That was the challenge. Lord Gort arrived on May 7th at 9 p.m., during an air attack, no less. Hence, his ceremony of taking power from Dobby was sped up. Dobby and his wife and daughter left on the same flying boat that had brought in his replacement. Fortunately, there was not a big fuss, as people respected Dobby, but mostly took their cue from their immediate superior, or in the civilian's world, supervisor. It didn't hurt Gort's popularity that rumors were going around that he would be the one to award Malta with its George Cross, that he actually brought it with him. Officially, this had been awarded on April 15th, accompanied by a handwritten letter from the king, which read, The Governor, Malta. To honor her brave people, I award the George Cross to the island fortress of Malta to bear witness to a heroism and devotion that will long be famous in history. George R.I., or Rex Imperator. April 15, 1942. And, at the time, Lieutenant General Sir William Dobby had answered with his own letter, which read, By God's help, Malta will not weaken, but will endure until victory is won. The public ceremony would be in September, if the Allies were still in charge of Malta, that is. But then arose Malta's patron saint, Churchill. He again messaged FDR saying, Come now, let me borrow the carrier wasp one more time so I can deliver a sting to the enemy. Those were not his words, but carried his sentiments. Of course, the president said yes, and now 64 Spitfires would be on their way to Malta. Perhaps the air ministry was catching up to Shrimp Simpson's thinking. Alongside the wasp would be the much older British carrier, Eagle, who would not only help deliver the 64 Spitfires, but would bring another 17 planes in a week's time. The first group of planes were expected to land on Malta on May 9th, and the next day, the mine layer HMS Welshman would bring in ammunition and fuel. So, yes, if this could work, Kesselring would have made a huge mistake by sending away 
some of his planes. The ownership of the skies over Malta was about to change hands. Again. Also striving to make sure this time the Spitfires lasted more than 48 hours, five experienced pilots from Malta would head to Gibraltar and help fly in that second group of 17 planes. And the first group of 64 would land in staggered patterns on all three fields so the first group could then refuel and take off to provide protection for the remaining Spitfires. Finally, things were coming together. Even better, when Group Captain Alfred Basil Woody Woodhull told these five Malta pilots that they would be flying out on April 30th, the group that would be flying the Spitfires in actually had combat experience, battling it out over the fields of France. Woodhull ended with, I don't have to tell you fellows what is at stake with this operation. Everything will hang on it. It's make or break, and it has just got to succeed. Which is why Hugh Pugh and others got even more clever this go-around. Not only would the Spitfires be coming in larger numbers and ready to take off again soon after landing, not only would the pilots have combat experience, but the AA crews, which had been doing sterling work, relatively speaking, were moved from Grand Harbor to the three main airfields. Further, there would be no restrictions as to their targeting. It was hoped the 109s would be in for the shock of their shortened lives when they attacked after the March 9th delivery of Spitfires. One more improvement has to be mentioned that would greatly increase the number of defending planes in the air on March 9th. First, pilots like Dennis Barnum were warned that he would probably have to fly about six times that day. But all pilots were told, if your plane is damaged, make for one of the blast pens, there were now 358 of them scattered around the three main airfields, drop off your plane, and if the pilot was unhurt, to rush back to the main airfield and jump in another plane to start the process all over again. Oh, and just to be clear, most, if not all of this, was Group Captain Woodhall's idea, not Hugh Pugh's. But should it work, well, the buck stopped with him, right? This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing, it's all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. During the night of May 8th, 
before the big day, Dennis Barnum tried to write a letter to his wife. He wasn't going to worry her, but he did want her to know that he had been unable to sleep for the last few weeks, and he knew that his exhaustion would affect him in battle. However, Dennis was then bumped into, his pen broke, and he never got around to finishing that letter. The next morning, May 9th, Dennis and some other pilots were stationed at Lucca, literally in their planes, waiting to be told to take off. But whatever enemy bombers came that day to Malta, they seemed to avoid Lucca. Dennis would end up sitting in his plane all day, sweating and stressing, all for nothing. He never left the ground. The first group of Spitfires reached a collie around 10.30 a.m., and Woodhull's plan worked. With the Spitfires coming in for a landing at Takali, 109 fighters would soon be behind them. But that's when the moved and improved AA gun crews opened up. Several 109s went down, the rest pulled up and went away. Another batch of Spitfires landed at Dennis's Luca airfield, and he was given one of the new birds after it was refueled. So he went back to waiting, almost hoping to be scrambled, but again, he never was called up. Churchill sent a message to the captain of the USS Wasp, which said, Who said a wasp couldn't sting twice? To be sure, four of the Spitfires were lost that day, but for the first time, Malta had over 50 Spitfires in her pens. The question was, what would the Axis powers in Sicily do about it? More good news for the defenders. As planned the next day, May 10th, the mine layer HMS Welshman entered Grand Harbor at 5.25 a.m. But 30 minutes later, so too did the day's first raid. Having taken the time to work things out, when the Axis planes were about to arrive overhead, a massive smokescreen was laid over the harbor. Furthermore, the AA crews, no longer limited to only shooting at bombers, went after the fighters, who were used to a certain level of safety. But the greatest change from the last convoy was that anyone who had a set of working legs and arms was ordered to help unload the Welshmen which was completed in an incredible five hours. What developed that day was the most amazing demonstration of modern warfare, and Dennis Barnum got to witness it, though from behind a large rock with his pants down, as Malta Dog, dysentery, had finally caught up to him. Keeping in mind that Luca sits in between Takali in the center of the island and how far at the southeast corner, and it's about four miles from Grand Harbor. So the planes that Dennis saw were specks, but between his experience and his young eyes, he could make sense of the smoke around the harbor and the 109s diving down. First, picture pure chaos, with smoke settling on the Grand Harbor, massive booms as AA guns fire upward, and JU-88s and Stuka dive bombers coming down, dropping their bombs and hoping for the best. Coming at this insanity in the air were Spitfires from several different directions, as they were all coming from their respective airfields. Though the intensity impressed young Dennis, it only grew as more enemy planes flew in from the north, while Dennis's heart lifted when he saw more Spitfires come in from the south. A crescendo 
was building. With all that lead in the air, soon planes were falling from the skies, which demanded that rescue ships from Grand Harbor be sent out. Either an Allied pilot would be rescued, if alive, or an Axis pilot would be taken into custody, again, if alive. Dennis watched as one Stuka got a little too close and cocky and was hit while flying across the harbor. His plane burst into flames, but as it still had momentum, spent several seconds lighting its way into that artificial fog. Then it disappeared from Dennis's view behind a hill. A few seconds later, there was an explosion. Of the improvements made by those on Malta, one of the biggest ones, but to go unnoticed by the Axis pilots, was the increased activity in the plotting room at Las Carceres in Valletta. Christina Radcliffe, the current love interest of Adrian Warby Warburton and a former cabaret dancer, that's how she supported herself on the mainland before coming to Malta in the late 1930s, was working D-Watch with controller group captain Woody Woodhall. Up until recently, her communications, her daily routine, was like the following. 40-plus bombers approaching island, and nothing in the way of the defender's response. Oh, occasionally the control room would send out fake messages to fake squadrons, closing in on the enemy, and it actually worked a few times. But this time, no, it was different, and it was real. Christina went from depressingly giving updates about enemy strikes to trying to help plot all the planes that were suddenly overhead, and that half of them were theirs. Heady times, indeed. That late morning, some 30 Stukas and Junkers 88s were about to fly over Grand Harbor, but waiting for them were 50 Spitfires and Hurricanes. At last, the defenders had the odds in their favor. And like previous times, the Spitfires would go after any escorts, while the Hurricanes focused on the bombers. This morning, there were not too many escorts. The attackers were getting overconfident at exactly the wrong time. So the Spitfires dove down on any targets close by, and they helped the Hurricanes finish off or chase away the rest of the threat. That evening, the bombers were back, this time with more escorts. But the outcome was the same. With more Spitfires and them working with the AA crews and the Hurricanes, the bombers got the worst end of that deal. Malta lost four Spitfires that day, but the enemy lost, all told on March 10th, 65 planes, either shot down or seriously damaged. And we can know with hindsight that Field Marshal Kesselring now only had on Sicily some 200 planes. His plans were unraveling fast, yet none of it was his fault, but all his responsibility. The Times of Malta reported, in part, it has always been known that man for man and machine for machine, the RAF were infinitely superior to the Hun, and every day looked forward to the day when he could be met on terms of parity. That day has arrived. True enough, but supplies were still lacking, and an island of people cannot eat hope. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Meanwhile, pilots Buck McNair and Raoul Dado Longley were still on their backsides at Gibraltar. Oh, they were enjoying having access to real food. Raoul was starting to feel the effects of stuffing himself every night. But now he wanted to get back home, to Malta, to help in the fight. Not until May 18th did Raoul and Buck land on Malta with 15 other new Spitfires. Much had happened, and much had changed, since they left about two weeks ago. First, they found out about the decrease in air raids, the increase in enemy planes shot down, and as far as the sheer increased activity near all three airfields, well, they could see that for themselves. And their fellow pilots looked, well, rested. It might actually pay off not to fly five times a day and to, you know, sleep through the night as night bombing had practically disappeared. Maybe this would all work out after all. Which is not what Dennis Barnum was thinking. By May 11th, he was feeling better. The next day, May 12th, Dennis was at Luca waiting to take off. So took the time to get to know one of the new guys, one sergeant pilot, Charles Gray's Smark. Graysmark was to be Dennis's wingman. The lad was only 20, but he looked even younger. Yet it was probably his good looks that allowed him to find a girl to marry him, and that had only been two weeks ago. Now he was here fighting the good fight. And with all these Spitfires and pilots around, things should work out. But Graysmark was about to learn an important lesson. That afternoon of the 12th, Dennis Graysmark and a few others were ordered to take off as a bombing raid was incoming. Once up in the air, Dennis turned around to see way too many Spitfires lifting off. It would have been nice to take them all, but clearly someone on the ground giving orders had made a mistake. So Dennis turned around and went lower so ground control could see him, so maybe they would ask what was up. But that's when Dennis got to witness two Spitfires ram into each other just after takeoff. Both planes burst into flames. Dennis, as was proper, asked the controller what he should do. Land, was the response. But no sooner did Dennis land when he realized his unit had gone on without him. Crap, he jumped back into his plane and sped off, trying to catch up to his men. Though the Spitfire could do 370 miles per hour, the other planes were simply too far ahead. By the time Dennis arrived on the scene, the fighting was over. As for the new guy, Graysmark, he had been shot down. But then Dennis was told he had bailed out. Perhaps he was still alive. Not wasting any time, Dennis flew back to Luca, got into another plane, had a mate grab another Spitfire, and together they dashed out to where Graysmark was to provide air cover until the rescue boat could claim him. As they flew upon the scene, Dennis could see four 109s attacking Graysmart and his flotation device. 
as there were four attacking and two defending planes, Dennis had his and the other plane fly around the German planes, taking shots at them when the opportunity presented itself. Had they just flown straight in, they would have been outnumbered, or two of the planes would have engaged while the other two finished off the downed pilot. But Dennis' plans worked, and eventually the harassed Germans flew away. Yet it was all for naught. By the time the rescue ship arrived, Graysmark was dead from his wounds. Another soldier gone, another widow made. Flying back to Luca, Dennis thought about all the mistakes that led to the death of Graysmark. First, he was trained to fly, to be sure, but all the other things, staying in formation, not having a wingman at all times, and even flying in a line abreast formation, was beyond him. There simply had not been enough time to train him up properly before sending him into harm's way. And there had been that mistake by control on the ground. Perhaps another person was still learning the ropes. The great irony of May 10th, the best day the defenders had on Malta yet, was the same day that Kesselring told Berlin, Malta has been neutralized. There's nothing left to bomb. But it must be noted, this left out the palace at the capital. Kesselring was already picturing that as his new headquarters when Malta was taken over. And as Malta was no longer a threat, units from Flieger Corps II continued to leave Sicily, bound for other theaters of the war. Like Goering during the Battle of Britain, the attackers had been winning, but chose to take their boots off the victim's collective neck too soon. Malta, though not knowing it, had just survived its most intense period of its war. Of course, none of this manufactured out of thin air the thousands of gallons of gas and tons of foodstuff needed by the islanders just to maintain their freedom and lives for the rest of the war. Postscript I accidentally came across a book you might be interested in, but no, this is not a sales pitch. I mentioned Christina Radcliffe in this episode, and turns out that a former RAF pilot based on Malta, but long after the war, discovered her and her fame on Malta and wrote a book about her. It's called Christina Radcliffe and the Forgotten Heroes of Malta's War. It came out in 2019. In June 1942, 53 female civilian plotters worked at Lacaris, some as young as 14. Six, including Christina, were decorated for gallantry. What they did, how they lived, and how some of them died is told in part using their own words. Described in the Times of Malta in 1942 as Christina of George Cross Island, she herself, said Malta, is carved on my heart. For years after the Second World War, in small corner cafes and bars that are such a feature of Malta's towns and villages, people talked about a remarkable RAF photo reconnaissance pilot called Warby and his stunning companion, Christina. A true heroine, they said. Yet, she died alone and unnoticed and was buried in a shared grave. I think she stayed on Malta for the rest of her life, but there are still many pictures of her in establishments all over Malta. And before I head out uh, on vacation to the Grand Canyon, which reminds me, uh, in the next 10 days, 
if any of you sign up for membership, please be patient with me. I will be in a place that either does not have Wi-Fi or has very bad Wi-Fi. I'll get you signed up as soon as I can. But just a little patience. You'll sign up. You'll wait 10 seconds. You'll get mad at me. You'll email me. That's fine. Just know that it's. I'll get you taken care of as soon as I get to a place that has Wi-Fi. But anyway, just real quick, I just wanted to thank the latest uh, donators and members of the show. There is Anna Elliott from Lawrenceville, Georgia. Thank you, Anna. And as far as people who have bought mugs, let's see here. Charles Miller from Asheville, North Carolina. And Christopher Terry from Maryville, Tennessee. Gentlemen, those mugs are on the way, and I have sent you the tracking information. And as far as donations, I would like to thank David Upton for his donation. So... Uh, I will be gone to the Grand Canyon for the first and probably only time in my life. Hopefully it's exciting. Um, uh, and I'll be back as soon as I can and we'll keep going with Malta. And I have a couple of uh, standalone episodes that are not interviews. And uh, I'm just going to put them in there because they're going to help flesh out the story. Some some smaller stories that I've kind of went by, but uh, in between here, I'll just sprinkle them in. Uh, but again, they're not interviews, so I think you'll enjoy those. Um, I will see you as soon as I get back. Hopefully I don't fall, fall off a mule, get bitten by a rattlesnake, attacked by a mountain lion. Uh, I'm not very tough. Uh, it would go badly. Anyway, I will see you guys as soon as I can. Take care, everyone.